Okay. Well, good morning. We called a, a quick audible this morning because it was uh, raining and we didn't want to set up outside to be wet. This will be the last week we got to do that because next week we'll be moving inside. So excited for that. Uh, we are in Romans chapter one, starting in verse 18. Romans chapter one, starting in verse 18. I'll say this. It's our general practice to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, th that means that there are sometimes we come upon texts that might not sit as well in our hearts. They might be potentially offensive, but we want to let the word of God speak. It's not about what we want to talk about. It's about what God wants to talk about in the text. All right, Romans 1, 18. Now, there are two ways to learn, two ways to learn primarily. You can listen to wisdom or make mistakes. You can listen to wisdom or make mistakes. So if, if people do not listen to wisdom repeatedly, then there are times they need to feel the pain of their own mistakes. This often happens when uh, uh, you tell a child not to touch the stove over and over and over and over again. And then one day they slip their finger up there and they get burned. Now, if they would have listened to the wisdom, they would not have had to feel that pain. The fact of the matter is when we look at the world, we can see something ain't right. That's what our series is called, Something Ain't Right, and we know it. And the question is, how does God respond to the people who make it not right? How does God respond to those who are causing the problem? See, God has given us wisdom, but the consistent rejection of that wisdom prompts God to let us get the consequences of not listening to him. So let's look at the text. Starting at verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, they became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator who was praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. The women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men, receiving in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they 
do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, senseless, unworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they did not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand this word, that as we read it, it seems quite harsh. Lord, I, I'm sure that it does not sit well with us. But nonetheless, it is your word. So would you give us understanding? Would you help me to preach with clarity and compassion? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so the first thing we see is that God's wrath is revealed against sin. So verse 18 says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God has a legitimate problem against sin. Often when we think about God's wrath and his attitude towards sin, we think that he has some sort of temper tantrum. That, that he can't control his emotions and that he just gets out of sorts easily. But what we need to understand is that God's wrath is the legitimate reaction to injustice. When, when people are angry about something that is done wrong, we don't immediately say they have a temper tantrum or that they cannot control their emotions. We say, no, wait, wait, what is it that they're angry about? The text shows that we don't honor God. That's what the ungodliness means. And that we don't honor one another. That's what the unrighteousness means. The way that we can tell that we do not honor God is by how we treat his creation. Now, if somebody came to your house and they decided to tear it up, tear up your furniture, throw everything on the ground, you would rightly feel like, why you, that was a slight against me. And they would say, well, I didn't touch you. You're like, but, but it's my stuff. And you can't just tear up my stuff without me feeling something. Beloved, when we are sinning and, and, and committing injustices against one another, that rightly is a dis, uh, considered a dishonor towards the creator, God himself. Beloved, God does not have a temper tantrum. He rightly observes injustice and sin and is righteously mad about it. The other thing that the text says is that people sin by ignoring the inner witness of the truth. See, we all have a conscience that we ignore. That no matter if we disagree on ethical questions, we all consistently don't follow our own ethic. If, if we disagree about what is right, but if you look at your own heart and look at the track record of your life, then ask yourself, have I always done what I think is right? The answer is no. It's not that people don't do what is right because that they don't know. Often we know exactly what to do, yet we do the opposite. The Bible says that it's because we honor creation over the creator. Look at verse 19. Since 
what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Whether they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, or reptiles. What this means is that we have uh, what, what theologians call natural revelation, that creation attests to the existence of a creator, the, the intricacy of how things fit together, the beauty that we observe when we look outside. Beloved, that points to someone who has designed that beauty. When you see a masterpiece, you don't think that it randomly got there. When you see something that is intricately put together, you don't think that it accidentally got to be that way. But if we go to the Grand Canyon and see the, the vast beauty that is there deep in our hearts, we have this sense of reverence for something that is greater. Or even something that's more closer to home when you delight in your spouse or you, you have fun with your children. There's, there is some sort of honor, awe, and reverence that goes, man, this is awesome. Not only do we observe that there is a creator because we can see the imprints of him in the creation, we all know that there is a standard of ethics. This, this standard is everywhere. When I was a, a missionary to a country that was largely atheist, they all agreed that there still was a standard of right and wrong. And beloved, it largely agreed with what you think is right and wrong. We all have the same standard and, and it attests that there is a, a law giver. But yet we reject both the knowledge of the creator and the standards of morality. And in that way, we're without excuse. We look at creation and say there was a creator. We know that there's some standard of right and wrong, but yet we ignore that. That means that we are without excuse. We value and serve his creation over him. You know, it's really interesting in the text. It says that claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, we often use our wisdom in service of sin. Some of the most atrocious acts in humanity have complex and sophisticated explanations. You know, that, that despot Hitler, he wrote a, a, a big book about his thoughts called Mein Kampf. Or if you look at chattel slavery, if you were to look in the, the, the theological and biological arguments that people had for the subjugation of other people. Beloved, it was wrong, but it was not done. It was wrong, but it was not random. See, see we, we can develop complex and, and rational justifications for the things that we want to do, yet that does not make them right. Wisdom must begin with the fear of the Lord. We see in the text that sin is taking a good thing and making it ultimate. See, pleasure, money, romance, control, safety, all of those are good things. But we know that if we place one of those as the apex of what we want to do, that it does not lead to good. 
If all I want is pleasure, then I will forsake legitimate things that need to be done for the good of myself and the good of those around me. We can take something that is good. Just like in the text, they took uh, uh, physical things, they took animals, they took images that are good and they made them ultimate. Beloved, we do the exact same thing, yet in a more sophisticated form. Now the question is, is, is that God gives us what we want. Verse 24 says, therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator. See, God's wrath is letting us get what we want along with the consequences of what we want. That's not how we usually think about God's wrath. We think that he's going to smite something. He's going to come down from heaven with power and destroy something. But according to this text, God's wrath is letting us have exactly what we want. And he lets our desires for those things grow. Now, ultimately, this leads to relational brokenness and consequences. This is, this is a, 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 such a pivotal thing to understand. We can look at people who, who we say, man, their desires are so bad, yet they're getting everything they want. Does that mean God approves? According to this text, that may be God's wrath enacted on them, that they are getting the evil that they want. Now, this happens because we ultimately value something above God and his law. Valuing something about, above God's law actually hurts others. Beloved, if, if I valued that everyone was created in the image of God, I would not let my anger strike out. If I valued what the scripture says about honoring my spouse, I would control the lesser pleasures. See, how many vulnerable people are sacrificed on the altar of pleasure? Greed and impurity. You know, we get to what is, if you read the, the, the text, if you heard me read it, there's probably one thing that stuck out to you the most. And the question is, why did he single out one particular sin? It says, for the, in verse 26, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. The women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same left natural relations. Let me give you some context. There was a large Jewish population in the Roman church. And in Jewish literature, one of the most looked down upon acts were the very acts that we are describing. And the Roman world looked much like our world now, where that activity was common practice. Too often we impose like 1950s America onto the biblical text. That is not the culture they lived in. They lived in a culture much like our own that normalized things that are normalized right now. Why this matters? Because the Jewish people of that day, they would have had a sense of pride that, well, they like, well, at least I don't engage in that. And they may have looked down on those who did. See, Paul brings it up to say that, that the sin or the vice that you most dislike is due to idolatry. Why does that matter? It matters because all sin has the exact same root. 
Paul is strategically cutting at any sense of pride that they may have because they don't do that. Nonetheless, the, the template for intimacy is found in Genesis 2 and 3. That one man and one woman in the marriage uh, covenant, that is the template for physical intimacy. And anything outside of that is not the way that God designed. And see, the church has not always been consistent in its emphasis. Often it is, it is highlighted one aspect or one deviation as extra bad. But beloved, we have to be consistent. That intimacy, according to the scripture, is reserved for the marriage covenant. And anything outside of that deviation, God does not honor. Now, let me be real. This does not disregard the reality of those feelings. I want to, to, to look at the word unnatural. You see that word unnatural. What does he mean it's, it's unnatural? He, he, he means it's, it's a deviation from what was the created purpose. But the reality is that we all have feelings that are a deviation from the created purpose. Beloved, it, it is not natural in God's design for us to steal from one another. It is not natural in God's design for us to lie. And even though it is unnatural, it is common. We have feelings that we have to examine that just because they come naturally to us does not mean they line up with what God has designed. And so, so we don't, we, but, but, but let's be very clear, because the common root of sin is idolatry, then we don't have the case to make a unique mistreatment for various people who sin in ways that we do not. If the root is the same, we cannot isolate people and say, you are extra, extra bad. No, beloved, we all have the same root. And there are all desires that we all have that do not line up with the natural creation of how God intended it to be. The point is that there is a common root of all sin. Even though that's harsh, it is good news because we have a Savior that forgives all types of sin. See, sin with the body, like other sins, has real consequences. And the thing that is, that is most wrong to you, the thing that you look at and go, oh, I can't believe that person did this or that. All of those things are a result of God letting people have what they want. It is God's wrath on display. So in our day, in your culture, that night might not be the biggest issue. Or maybe you, you look at those who have a, a racist tendency and you go, I can't believe that they would ever do that. Beloved, that is God's wrath on display, giving people what they want. We can't point at other categories of people and say, well, their sin is extra bad because it's extra different. No, beloved, it has the same root. We must understand that God's wrath is displayed in us when we sin, even the sins that we count as smaller. That is God giving us over to what we want, even though it is wrong and we suffer the consequences. See, so much of the evil in this world is due to sinful desire. Look at that long list starting in verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. 
They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, unworthy, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they knew God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Every evil that we see is a result of people's desire and the passive wrath of God. God letting people have what they want. See, we can clearly see the evil on the other side, whoever the other side is to you. But we don't clearly see our own temptations. So when you say, who is to blame for the state of the world? Who is to blame for the decay? Who is to blame for the problems? Beloved, we are. The collective we are to blame for the evil in this world. Because that is true, we cannot trust ourselves to define good and evil. Because we have a tendency to reject God and his law. See, as I read that list, you'll find some things in that list that are seen as common and good by some in our culture, right? You saw in that list, you saw greed. Every single commercial that you see is designed to exploit the greed in you. It's the temptation that you never have enough. I have a nice smartphone, but every time I see a commercial for a new smartphone, I'm like, I need that. That's not true, but I'm like, I really, really, really want it but yet it stimulates the economy, so it's good. Right, the, the verse says that there are some who are God-haters, that, that atheism is viewed by some as uh, the moral high road, or it's, it's a destination that they finally reach because of their intellect. The thought is one day those dumb religious folks will arrive at the intellectual high road. We see in the list that, that there is this idea of being boastful. Boastful. How many songs are there that are literally about bragging? You know that song that gets stuck in your head? I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's called bragging. Gets stuck in my head too. But beloved, the point is, is that something that is common and that is not viewed as that big of a deal is indicated by God to be wrong. See, you know, on the right, we have a political figure whose whole platform is built by bragging on past accomplishments and declaring how awesome he is. And many see that and say that is good. On that list, we see unmerciful. I see this displayed in cancel culture. How many have been discredited as individuals for old social media posts? I started social media when I was in high school. I don't know everything I posted. I hope I don't get canceled. See, we're so quick to bring the sentence of canceling without the opportunity for forgiveness. That is being unmerciful. See, in various times and places, different wrongs are esteemed as good. Therefore, it would be a dangerous thing to trust ourselves or even the wider culture to define what is good. Because depending on when and where you live, that changes. People instinctively know that evil requires judgment. 
Nevertheless, people applauded. We see this on display, and it illustrates that, that we have this fundamental problem, which, which theologians call original sin. Original sin shows that we sin because we are sinners, that it is a part of our nature, that we enter this world with a corrupt nature and without hope, apart, of the save, apart from the saving grace of God and the gospel. We have a will that is bent towards ourselves and to treating aspects of creation as ultimate. I don't have to argue this to be true. You can observe it in the youngest of the young. Yesterday, my kids were throwing down about a Pez dispenser. We see this bent to gratify ourselves and this bent to turn some aspect of creation, even a Pez dispenser, as an excuse to mistreat others and to break God's law. Beloved, this is not something that is a happy thing to preach, but it's in the text. And if we want to honestly examine the world and go, something ain't right, and we have all these people pointing to this, that, this, or the other, this is the thing that is wrong. Beloved, the thing that is wrong is that we are sinners. That we define evil as good. And that applies to everybody. So the question then is, who will save us? from the penalty and the power of sin. There's only one man who lived a life that was full of worship of God the Father that did not deviate to the left or to the right. It was Jesus Christ who never turned creation to an object of worship, who honored God and loved his neighbor to the fullest of his capacity. This man who did no wrong because he worshiped the creator, God, he is the same one who died on a cross for our sin. The one who deserves no punishment, no judgment, no wrath, faced all of our judgment and our wrath on the cross. See, when Jesus died for sin, he wasn't dying for, for the sins of those out there. He was dying for your sins, your propensity to, to turn something good and make it God. Jesus is dying on the cross for you. And beloved, Jesus, in his resurrection and his pouring out of the spirit, changes people. He can stick his hand out deep in your heart and change it and fix your affections so that your affections are not always bent on themselves and always valuing something other, but that they are valuing God. Beloved, the problem runs deep, but the solution through Christ runs deeper. So what do we do through this? Because this is true, we have to test everything we hear against the scriptures. If we agree that sometimes my or your interpretation of what is right is not always right, and if we also agree that in certain times and in certain places, various cultures' definition of what is right is not right, then we have to humbly submit to the scriptures, and they have to be our starting place. What I see what I think is dangerous is that the, the moral foundation of various political parties have become our standard of what's right. And we sprinkle some Jesus over what we have already decided is right. Beloved, we don't start with someone else's definition of what's right and wrong. 
start with the scriptures themselves. See, we have to guard against turning creation into an idol. This happens at, at our job, something that's good. You can, can, can value the job so much that you neglect the family. This, this happens in our, our various callings. We know that anything that's good can be turned into a God. And finally, beloved, we have to have humility in our interactions with others because we have the same sinful nature. The outer actions may look different, but the root nature is the same. Beloved, in our church, there's there's not a, a sin or, or a past that if you come to us, we're going to look down extra bad on because we all have the same fundamental issue. We have to be a church of both truth and compassion. If I know I'm a sinner, then I can't pick up rocks and throw them at you because of your sin. But I can point you to the one who died for your sin and who changes sinners. Beloved, something ain't right, but God has done the most right in the gospel by dying for our sins and setting us on the right trajectory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy, for your word. Lord, sometimes you say things that people say are hard. But Lord, everything you say is done out of love. Lord, I pray that your word would, would sink down deep into the heart and that you would grant us humility and that we would follow you because of how gracious and kind you have been to sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.